0: The Black Woman's Guide to Understanding the Black Man by Shirazad Ali. The survival of the black man is in crisis. He is dying a shameful, unnatural death. He is rejected by his woman and detached from his own seed. Slavery fractured his birthright ego, so he falls as husband, father, and son. His problems are too big now, so he has no value for life. And no matter how hard he tries, he just can't get it together. And without divine intervention, he will continue to self-destruct. We're going to start with chapter one, babyhood and puberty. Adult black men over the age of 40 have similar childhood backgrounds. They remember their past somewhat fondly at times and whatever complaints they recall are seemingly small, unpleasant trees when compared to the horror reports and wayward status of black male youth today. The majority of them were taught proper table manners, how to behave in public, respect for elders, the importance of attending church, neatness, household chores, control of his mouth, to be nice to girls, to fight only if aggressed, the value of education, modest goals, moral convictions, obedience to parents, reasons to reject alcohol and tobacco, and why they shouldn't talk back as a small boy he played with ropes chinese checkers puzzles cards dominoes marbles bikes scooters blocks kites wagons electric trains balls trucks guns and cowboy hats his make-believe heroes were superman gi the Lone Ranger and Tonto, the Cisco Kid, Batman, Zorro, Royal Rogers, and Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone. He learned of them from comic books, television, and radio programs. He was aptly entertained by Hardy Duty and Pinky Lee. He read Snow White, Little Red Riding Hood, Goldilocks, and The Three Bears, The Three Pigs, and a host of nursery rhymes like Hickory Dickory Dog, Little Miss Muffet, Humpty Dumpty, London Bridge, and Jack and Jill. Television showed him moving pictures of Superman and how he watched Father Knows Best, Ed Sullivan, Ted Mack Amateur Hour, Beat the Clock, The Price is Right, Queen for a Day, Alfred Hitchcock, Warren Rogers, and Dale Evans, Topper and Perry Mason. He heard other stories. He heard other stories about Paul Bunyan and John Henry. Included in his visual were other shows, all featuring brave, handsome, white male performers with glamorous female starlets, mostly with long yellow blonde, flowing hair, and sky blue eyes. He committed her features to memory, and she was the first woman he drew a picture of in school. He loved to go to the movie theater to see gangster, western, and war flicks, Tarzan was Buona and king of the jungle. Every action, every emotion, attitude, or moral judgment was demonstrated for him on the big screen in black and white or color cinematography. With every situation featuring Caucasians conducting their business and social affairs, Lana Turner, Doris Day, Dinah Shore, Merlin Monroe, and Debbie Reynolds were just a few. Rock Hudson, Elvis Presley, Troy Donahue, and Clark Gable premiered as the top male actors. If the black man saw himself on TV, it was as the cook, the waiter, shoe shine boy, dishwasher, baggage carrier, car washer, maid, or babysitter, always, but always in the employ of wealthy whites. If he wasn't sweeping the floor or running from ghosts, he was seen dancing, a jig, Grinning as wide as possible and stretching his eyes to the limits to show the most white or making other facial contortions designed to be funny and show him up as ignorantly playing the fool. Some played the big bands and grinned along with the music but never spoke. He may have had the rare opportunity to see a raisin in the sun, imitation of life, Rochester on The Jack Benny Show, Amos and Andy and The Kingfish, Carmen Jones or Green Pastures, or Step and Fetch It with Shirley Temple. He did not seem to wonder why he wasn't featured in key roles in the movies or on TV. TV was fairly new during his childhood, and it was basically understood that white people were in charge of TV land. Then he was introduced to Uncle Remus and the Tar Baby, buckwheat and alfalfa, little black Sambo, Aunt Jemiah on the pancake box, Uncle Ben's rice, and a host of other mamie products from syrup to shortening. He was aware of many outside influences that did not look like him, but his life had structure and his community was in, in agreement on certain behavior codes and in home values. So, right there. Let's discuss that point real quick. Um basically this sister is the, it's just laying out the what the programming that took place of the black man from media, um and just what we you know, in the media, basically, is what we're supposed to see as this how it this is how it should be. Laugh, live, you know, happy. This is what it is. And, you know, what drew me is her saying his first picture he drew in school was of the blonde-haired white woman with blue eyes, which was what was shown to him as beautiful. And, you know, we can fight and fuss about, oh, no, no, no. But really. It was programmed in his mind. Think about your little brothers or your little cousins and just how they acted. (laughs) You know, fascinated with the white woman. And this is why this was beginning the trick, right? Okay. In the South, the differences between him and other races were more pronounced And he was instructed and reminded with public signs that not only was he unalike, but had to move about in the world carefully. One of the main reasons he was taught to read was so that he did not accidentally go in the wrong door, drink from the wrong public water fountain, or get caught in certain areas after the sunset. His mother taught him to fear and be extra polite to whites as a way to protect himself, and she warned him of improper conduct, especially around white women and little white girls. He was taught to lower his eyes and never look them directly in the face, to remove his hat when addressed by them, and never walk too close behind, beside, or in front of them, lest he be charged with being disrespectful. There was a penalty that went with disrespecting a white woman, so he must always keep his distance. He was warned that even an accident, Accidental glance could cost him his life. His parents and grandparents advised him to be friendly, smile, helpful, and do what he was told to do. Use good manners and be proud if whites recognized him or approved of his work. He was educated in a mode of behavior to save his life. He eventually heard stories about what whites did to blacks if they were the in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he was not bored because blacks have their own sections of town and recreation outlets, which they could freely frequent and which were sometimes visited by whites at will. But he was strictly forbidden from ever trying to patronize theirs. He learned to dance for whites. No matter where he lived, whenever it was time to have a party, they had fun. His father, if present, earned about 1000 to 3000 a year in income, although he usually never knew it. Provisions were made for him, and he witnessed attempts to make sure he was not hungry. So other than owning a television set, there was little to compete with his family or their status in life. He was relatively comfortable in most cases and didn't realize, for the most part, if he was rich or poor, since his black neighbors and friends all appeared to live the same way he did. Many of their guardians maintained single-parent households. It was not that unusual at the time. If one of his friends lived with both his mother and father, he was revered as quite special. Many of their mothers had men friends who visited, stayed overnight, or lived with them periodically. He was taught to respect his mother's man, and refer to him as Mr. So-and-so, and and to make few demands on his stands and father, and he often knew little, if anything, about his own biological daddy. It wasn't discussed much in his presence, and if the missing father showed up in town or in the neighborhood for a visit, it was considered a big deal and something to brag about. Let's stop there. So we read chapter 1. Pages um, 5 through page 7. So, uh, babyhood and puberty. And we're going to stop there. So, let's, let's just discuss this. Um, please give me your feedback. I definitely can see where this sister is coming from. I can look back on my life. So, basically, when she wrote this book. Um, so, she's saying that the men. Are in their 40s. And she published this book. This book was written in the 90s. Um, 1992 is when she wrote the book. Um, So. And the second edition was 2015. But I'm pretty sure she's still sticking with the 90s. And she says that. Most of these people are in their forties, so this stuff had started quite a while ago, and you think about at that time when people were in their forties in the nineties in the nineties I was um in my thirties um I graduated in 89, no, 20s. So I was in my 20s. So we're talking about people about 20 years older or whatever. And if it's 2015, we're talking about my age. And So when we go back and you look at kids, um, when you were kids and they stopped having two-parent households, I would say a little bit younger than me. So she's probably talking about in the second edition, which was released 2015 in their 40s. So men in their 40s around 2015, I would have been in my 40s in 2015, which makes a lot of sense. So um, you take the childhood of, I remember seeing this happen, you know, with, Boy a lot of women raising kids alone they daddy coming town, and it's like they daddy here visiting It was a big deal because you know they daddy wasn't daddies weren't around anymore um basically the pro you just seen the what was happening and to know and understand like I do now that this was done purposely to create the black man that is um in jeopardy of becoming extinct his survival is in a crisis as she started the book with um slavery fractured him so he's already fractured uh his ego and now he faces you know in where she's at he's facing so much more because he's been programmed um, to not love himself. By not loving himself, he don't love his black woman. And he's programmed to be more drawn to um, a white woman. So she's the black woman's guide to understanding the black man is saving, um, is to guide us to save our black race. So I think this is very important to get some background, you know, on on what happened. Um, I like her opinion, you know. We all have ours. I do agree with um, most of what she's saying so far. And um, she's did her research. Um, Of course, you can't deny uh, the different, uh, she's talking about on the Aunt Jemima products, on the box, the Uncle Ben Rice, the things that, Black people were looked up to for portrayed for was things of, uh, eating and eating a lot and stuff like that. Not the what is looked at as the beauty and the wealth and you know things like that. Not here in America. So this helps you understand what your uh, black man is going through, and to have an appreciation and love that gets you through this and understand what you have to do as the black woman. So, okay, we'll be back. That takes quite a while to break down this book. Like I said, we read pages five through seven. We're at chapter one uh, of the black woman's guide to understanding the black man. This is for the black woman y'all. So